Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Today's reading is uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 and 8 through 17. I am the true vine. And my father is the fine grower. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I choose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Is that better? Yeah, cool. Um, And so it's not abundantly clear how we begin to do this. So what we want to do is begin to cultivate the soil of our lives to say, God, how can you begin to to move in my life? How do you begin to move through my life? Because we not only think that God is doing something in us, that God wants to draw you to himself because he loves you. And you were designed, like you were, you were crafted by God, by, you know, by his very hands to be uh, reflective of his image, to be uh, in relationship with God. But not only that, but you were designed as a gift to the world. That your particular temperament, your particular Enneagram number, your particular personality, your gift mix, the way that you see things is actually the way that God is going to bless the world through your life. And so we want to begin to cultivate that soil, uh, cultivating rhythms of silence in our lives. And we talked about this a little bit last week, of reading scripture. And we centered in on the first C. We have this paradigm we call the four C's. And the four C's are essentially how, what are the layers of our life, these concentric circles that God works uh, from within our lives. And so the first one we focused on last week was contemplative. This is our life as lived, it's just face to face with God. How are we in relationship with God? And the second C we're going to focus on today is community. How do you begin then to open up your life with all of your brokenness, to open up your life with all the other people's brokenness, and to begin to allow God to, uh, ex- to show you who he is and show you what he's wanting from you through this, you know, this very, very broken, messy thing we call community. Now, Often in our culture, new words are brought about and added by technology. So if you were 20 years ago to ask somebody, what's the Wi-Fi password? They would be like, the what? (laughs) Like, do you need a tissue? Right? 
And the, the words, oftentimes, they go in and out of use, right? So, like, if you were 20 years ago to ask somebody, and some of you guys are old enough to remember this, some of you aren't. Uh, if you were to ask somebody for a floppy disk, they'd be like, yeah, it, here's, my, here's my red one. It has, <laughs> has three megabytes on it. Uh, now, some of you guys are like, what is this thing he's talking about? We used to not have much storage, okay? So we had to put things on floppy disks and listen. Now, one of the words that our social media has brought into our vernacular is FOMO, which of course means fear of missing out. Anybody have that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, yes indeed. Now, alongside FOMO, FOMO is sort of a phenomenon that's been brought about almost exclusively by social media because guess what? People that used to have fear of missing out didn't know what they were missing out on, right? And so it just turns out that along with this, this wonderful acronym FOMO, that people have developed some other language around this concept of FOMO. So we're going to look at a couple of those. So uh, you may not have FOMO, but you may have FOMOMO, which of course means the fear of the mystery of missing out. So FOMOMO, is, that occurs when your phone is broken or out of battery. It means you're afraid of missing out, but not because of what you see on social media. It's what you don't see that's causing you real angst. Deprived of seeing your friend's photos or check-ins, you automatically assume that everyone on your Instagram feed is having a riotous time without you. Okay. And if that wasn't enough, there's Foji. That's right. Now, if you suffer from FOGI, you're far less likely to keep your friends updated on Facebook and Instagram because you're not quite sure what to post. And you're worried that nobody will like or comment on your photos. <laughs> I can't believe this is real. Uh, in fact, you might opt out of social media altogether for fear that nobody will want to connect, follow, or be friends with you. I think FOGI might be a path towards health. I don't, this might be the, the beginning of life. Next, we have Bromo. And this, yeah, <laughs> somebody's like, uh. When your friends protect you from missing out, these are good friends, an act of solidarity from your friends. If they've been out the night before, they'll deliberately refrain from posting photos of the fun they were having for fear of making you feel left out. Guys, if you have friends that acknowledge Bromo, you've got good friends. Next, we have Slow-Mo. This is slow to missing out. This one's kind of, I don't know, that one's kind of weak. In this case, your anxiety is probably justified. Oh, good. Everybody's having a better time than you, but you're asleep. So you don't know it until the next morning when you log into Facebook and find your timeline littered with photos of the night before. And now some of you are sitting here like, what on earth? Like, I've never experienced any one of these feelings, and I don't think I ever will. You have JOMO, the joy of missing out, taking pleasure in missing out by not feeling like you have to be everywhere at once. Instead, you're quite content staying in bed with a cup of coffee and a good book. Friends, you are the heroes that we deserve. Now, it's not even a distinctively Christian thing to say that we were hardwired 
for community. Evolutionary biologists demonstrate how isolating an animal triggers fight or flight responses because of the increased vulnerability that the creature experiences. Friends, I would be remiss if I did not step over here and, and say that we as, as Christians have to bear witness to the fact that our government right now is, is isolating children from their parents at the border. And so uh, I w- didn't plan on saying that, but it's right here. And so it triggers a fight or flight response. It triggers this, this sense of vulnerability, this sense of, of panic and anxiety. Right, guys, can we just stop and pray? <sighs> Jesus. Lord, re- regardless of our politics in here, Lord, no kid should ever be treated that way. So God, would we be a people? Lord, who because of who you are, God, stand up and say, that's not okay. God, who by our very lives and our sacrifices live out a different way. God, we pray for those who are experiencing this reality right now. God, we ask that you would be with them. Lord, it's in your name. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Excuse me. Feelings of anxiety and dislocation become rampant. Because the creatures have adapted to the environments. This is evolutionary biologists. This isn't Christian thinkers. These are just people that are studying animals and think that that's all there is to us. That if you understand how kind of we're hardwired, then you'll understand why we feel certain emotions and certain things. Um, There was a Harvard study, and maybe this was very, very uh, widespread. So maybe you saw this. That began studying students in 1938. It's been ongoing for the better part of 80 years. They followed a group of Harvard students... And, and they've since added to this group, they've added some other uh, populations. They added some, some people from the inner city of Boston. But they were basically asking the question, what makes for a good life? And they followed specifically these Harvard students through the successes and failures, marriages and divorces, sicknesses and health, to try to figure out the answer to this question. What makes for a good life? And the conclusion, after following some of the smartest, most privileged, wealthy, successful people in our society over the last 80 years, was this. Was that close relationships, more than money or fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. That, pro- that finding proved true across the board among both the Harvard men and the inner city participants. And in our world that is always connected, you know, we started talking about social media. Psychologists, sociologists, cultural observers, all alike have observed how deeply isolated so many people feel. And friends, maybe you're in here today and you feel alone. And you know you can go on your phone and you can see life happening, but that only tends to kind of make it worse. The phrase loneliness epidemic has named a pathology where no matter how many friends or followers or even how surrounded by people that we are, we are missing the vital connections that make for a good life. And as the Harvard study reveals, our relationships are actually the leading factor in determining our physical health. The first thing that God pronounces as not good in the scriptures, he makes this whole world and he says, it is good. It is good. He crafts women and men in his image and he says, they are very good. 
the first thing that he says is not good in the scriptures is that for the man to be alone. And he crafts a companion for the man. And as the library of scripture unfolds, we are introduced to this mystery of the Trinity. That God is in fact three in one. A dance of mutual joy and mutual submission between Father, Spirit, and Son. God himself has said that loneliness and, and being alone are not the way that the world was designed to work. God is an unspeakable wonder of community. And Jesus has woven our relationships into the, fa- into the fabric of what it means to be in relationship with God. The two greatest commandments are love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. They work in tandem. Friends, we cannot love God without loving our neighbor. And Jesus pulls from this idea as he's talking in this passage that Rich read for us in John 15. He's saying, I am the vine. You are the branches. Not not singular, but plural. He's inviting us to see our lives. And so we're going to read this text again, and we're going to work through it a little bit about what God is trying to do in working through our lives in relationships to others. And so Jesus begins in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. And then he continues in verse 8. He says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete Again, this week, we focused on this last week, and I really encourage you, if you missed last week's teaching, to, to start there. Um, but we, we revisit this imagery of the vine. Jesus tells us, in order to abide in him, that we keep his commandments. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in me. And in fact, he says, keeping his commandments just as he kept his father's commandments. Jesus says, you are to keep my commandments just to the extent that I've kept my father's commandments. That's pretty high bar right? And then he focuses in these commandments. He says, these, this, this commandment, this, this idea of what I've been teaching you is summed up right here. He continues on in chapter 15 and verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he says, you remain in my love by keeping my commandments. And then he says to us very plainly, he says, this is my commandment. So we listen up when we get very clear teaching from Jesus because it's sometimes a little bit harder to piece together. Verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm giving you this commandment so you may love one another. This is my commandment. 
love one another. Jesus is inviting us to see that just as our lives are attached to the vine, that we are branches grafted into the life of Christ, that vine is not just for us, not just for our relationship with Jesus, but we are surrounded by other branches. We are placed in a vineyard of grace. All of us finding common life and grace in Jesus, tended by the intimate care of the Father, the vine grower. And the health and the life of the branches around us have everything to do with the health of the vineyard itself and thus the health of our own lives. Friends, if we are not healthy as a union, as if, if we are not healthy as a community, then none of us is healthy. God is inviting us to see our lives are much more connected than we would ever assume. We are not isolated consumers taking life from the vine, following Jesus on our own. We have to see God in the face of our neighbors as we look to those who are surrounding us as a mirror for the love of God in our lives in order for our own faces to reflect more of the beauty of his life. And guys, this is not easy, right? Here in Central Jersey, community is one of the most difficult things to come by. Our pace here is so incredibly rapid. People are overscheduled. They try to keep up. People commute long distances to work. It's very common for people, and maybe some of you in here have long commutes. And so for you who, who work so hard and then drive so far, then to say, okay, I'm going to make the necessary sacrifices to be in community with others, that is no small thing. And that is not the norm across the, the whole of our culture. But here in New Jersey, this is quite normal. And so I commend you. Those of you guys who are fighting for this, that is no small thing. Those of you guys who are working tooth and nail, and then you're saying, you know what, we're going to get out on a Tuesday night or a Friday night, and we're going to go be with people because that is what God is calling us to do. God, I commend you. God is working through that. It's so important that you see that that is the, the way that God comes to you. We live in a context that community has to be fought for, and it has significant costs. But Jesus here is showing us in John 15, he's saying to us that it is not, community is not just a nice additional thing, like that you can put off, like, you know, how we do sometimes with our budget items. We're like, okay, like when we get to this place, then we will be in community. Like when, when our life settles down or when uh, this thing stops, then we will engage in community. Like it doesn't exactly work that way. Because there's always more. Our lives do not tend towards less. They tend to add on and pile on. There's stratification of movement. And we tend to be people who are just constantly adding new things into our life. And so that, that illusion, that myth, that somehow there's this magical day where you're like, wow, I discovered there is actually an eighth day in the week. It's probably not coming for you. And so how do we prioritize our time? Because Jesus is saying this is essential to what it means to remain in the vine. This is my commandment. Love one another. And so here at Ecclesia, we've, we've tried at this early stage of our community's formation to make this a part of who we are. And right now we have two groups, uh, one during the week that meets on Tuesday night uh, and one that meets on Friday nights. And friends, if you're, if you're aching, if, if I'm describing your life and you're sitting there saying, yeah, I'd love community. Somebody could just tell me where to find it. That's what church is for. And so we're grateful that you're here. I'd love to get you connected. Um, you know, you can just grab me after the service because this is your practice for the week. 
to take an inventory of the community that you currently live in and experience? What, what kind of people, what kind of uh, intentional practices have you surrounded yourself with as it pertains to your relationships? Take inventory of that. And then ask God, like, okay, am, am, I, am I supposed to be uh, living my life right now uh, in the midst of neighbors and other people? The answer is probably yes. And here's me offering, as Ecclesia, as the pastor here, I will help you get connected. I will help you find a group of people that will welcome you and that will say, uh, you know, to, to you that we are going to engage in an intentional process of formation. And it happens in beautiful ways. It happens in joyful ways as it did in Jesus' ministry, around tables. It happens in conversation. It's not some mythical thing that has to be uh, completely uh, contrary to the way that you live your normal life. But Jesus is saying that we have to begin to embrace this rhythm of community. And so we want to help you. And so if you're saying to yourself, I need to find more of that, let us help you. Now vintners, the people who grow vines, I find that word very hard to say. And I probably say it probably not well. Vintners throughout the world have used trellising systems to ensure that their vines flourish. Vines are wild and have to be trained and secured. A vine naturally wants to grow upward, but unless the vine is bent horizontally, it will not bear fruit. Vines that continue to reach upward just choke out the life around them. But if a vine is bent, the weight of the fruit begins to bend the vine in order to become what the vine was meant to be. And the trellising process involves being bound to a structure, usually with wire or a rope. You can look at a vineyard and see the intricate patterns and interconnectedness of all the vines. There's beauty in that symmetry. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And as we talked about last week, Jesus' life is the rootstock. We are all grafted in, all of us with our particular culture, all of us with our particular experiences, with our particular brokenness in our past. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. There is no branch which cannot be grafted in to Jesus Christ. He is the true vine and he has welcomed every single person. And as we move into life with Jesus, we are invited to surround ourselves with people who will walk this Emmaus road of life with us. These people that will encourage us, that will be our neighbors, will be our companions. And friends, we need each other to live this life well. Even Harvard recognized that, right? We need each other. And so I want to just look at three angles of community that I think is so important as we begin to embrace this idea of living in our lives in the presence of others. Three angles, not, it won't cover everything, but certainly these are three things. It's not less than this, but it's, uh, or it's not more than this, or yes, it's not less than this. There we go. All right, gifts of community. Let's move on. It defines our context, our soil. A vine is planted in a soil of a certain, what the, the word that the vintners use is terroir. The unique terroir gives each, each grape its character and flavor. A vine is bound to a wire in order to keep it sturdy. We are the most fruitful, the most sturdy, the most alive when we are bound to our surroundings, to the other branches that are near to us and bent towards our neighbors. Now, especially in our culture, which tends to be so transient, and we live in Princeton, which is an incredibly transient area, right? Being rooted with others is vital to our maturity in Christ. 
no matter where you're from today, no matter where you call home, no matter where the majority of your friends are, you are an embodied person who lives and works and studies and plays right here, in this place. You live in this certain town. You attend this certain church with these certain people. Patrick Deneen says, We are increasingly shaped by technology that promises liberation from limits of place, time, and even identity. But as we develop, friends, Christian community, we surround ourselves with people not according to our preferences, but because they are branches in the vine too. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. When we commit to a certain group of people, we exchange consumerism for covenant. No longer does the group become about me or my preferences. Jesus is inviting you to be alive right here and right now with these people that are surrounding you, with these people and all their little nice quirks. Jesus is saying, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Abide in this place. And community defines our soil. It doesn't let us envision uh, life somewhere else, but it's saying surround yourself with people who can walk with you right here, right now, in this place. And some of you are only here for a while, right? You're here as a part of a PhD program. You're here studying. You're here working for a while. I've seen this so often where people think to themselves, I'm only here for three years. You know, maybe, maybe we'll just kind of like ride it out. You know, we won't engage too much because, you know, it's so hard to leave. You know, I once went to school in New Mexico for one day. We thought we were moving to New Mexico. It turned out at the end of that day of school that we were not moving to New Mexico. And so I went through the pain and the suffering of being the new kid in school for one day for people that I would never see again. And so if third grade Ian can endure the pain of Albuquerque, New Mexico for one day, friends, you guys can engage. You can allow God to work through your life. Because here's the thing. We always miss in that. We think of like, okay, what, what, would we, uh, what, what, were we, what are we missing in this whole exchange? But we also miss what are we missing to give of ourselves in this exchange. And so, friends, Engage now, even if you know in a year's time you'll be gone. Make this place a place that you called home. Make this place a place that you've come back to. And I commend you guys, those of you who are building Ecclesia, those of you guys who are on our team, you're doing that. You're going to have a church that you look back on. You say, like, even if you come and visit five years from now at reunion time, you'll say, wow, I helped with this. I was a part of the foundation. You'll always have that. And I, I'm just so grateful for that sense of vision and that sense of commitment to what God is doing here, even though you may not see the other side of it. Community defines our soil. It says you are here in this place. The next thing community does, and there's two more, community is the ground of joy. Now, I think it no small thing that Jesus says to his disciple here, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Community defined by the shape of the cross, where we lay down our lives for those around us, is not a joyless life. Where we, also, where we always are burnt out and always um, feeling like we're, we ha we're running on empty because we're never taking time for ourselves. 
That's why we started this series talking about how we live our life first in stillness before God. And as the life of Jesus shows us so, uh, so incredibly is that his life always flowed out of this deep intimacy with God. But community is the very epicenter of joy. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, eternal joy. And he invites us to mirror his joy in the way that we live alongside one another. Now often when you hear people talk about how they became an apprentice in the way of Jesus, you will hear that they were just attracted to the way that a group of people lived together. Right? Any of you ever had this experience? This was my, uh, the way that I first found a church that I was like, I'm, I'm okay being here. I'm okay attending this. I didn't care about Jesus at all. But I found people, I had moved 20 times in my life. I found people that just welcomed me in and they were nice to me. And that began a years-long process. And this, guys, we want these things to be so quick, but oftentimes inviting people into the life that Jesus offers, it takes time. But because I saw these people who allowed me to belong before I believed, and church should be a place that, that is willing to walk alongside this, because I saw that, then my life was formed. My life was irrevocably changed. That's a tough word to say, too, it turns out. And so, friends, I, I just want to keep encouraging you. Allow God to, to do the long art of faithfulness that he's wanting to work in the lives of others and cultivate a space where somebody who has no idea who God is, who doesn't really have any interest in it, could come and be a part. Because community is the way of joy. It is the grounds of, of which God is growing our heart for him. And, and man, far be it for us as Christians to be a joyless people when we have a father who rejoices over us. We have a father who whatever, whatever greatest feeling you have in your life, whatever greatest association, if that's a relationship, if that's a meal, whatever it is, however excited and, and joyful you get over that thing, God is infinitely more over you. So may we cultivate communities of joy. May we see that God is inviting us to be a people who are shaped by his joy. The last thing, the community, the last focus we want to, fix our attention on today is the community is the way that God prunes us. We talked about this last week, this, this sense that God cuts us back in order to bring us to more, uh, more vibrant life. And for those of you who have families, maybe you've had this experience. You know, there have been times throughout my marriage with Courtney and, you know, now that we have little small children, where they have left town. And I've got I to gotta be honest, when they leave town, that first like day, day and a half is amazing. Like, I can do whatever I want. Nobody, like, nobody needs anything from me. I can cook whatever I want. I don't have to clean up after myself. And I, I'm a little too messy. And it is awesome. But after about two days, I realized that, like, I'm, my, my own unencumbered freedom, I realized that some of my, my muscles of selflessness begin to atrophy. And my life is beginning to turn in on itself again. You know, one of the great uh, joys of community, and you know, in this case, we're talking about marriage community and being a father, is that it begins to extend you beyond yourself. And this is not unique to those relationships. So if you're single here, your life with friends is doing this in your own life as well. 
But, but, but marriage and, and having children begins to, at the same time, reveal your own selfishness to you and begins to slowly and painfully draw you out of it. But after about two or three days spending time by myself, I can curve back in on myself rather quickly, right? And maybe some of you have had that experience. And then, you know, then the kids come back and you're like, oh, man, I have to, like, be a dad again. It's very hard. I I start to become my college self all over again, living life that is completely centered on my own wants and desires. And living in community is much like this. Things would be easier. The old African proverb, I, I don't really like calling this an African proverb because there's like a thousand cultures in Africa, but unfortunately I could not find its specific origin. So the, the, the proverb stands true. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And if we are cultivating a life for Jesus that will span the rest of our earthly lives and on into eternity, we need others around us. And in the context of our community, God reveals to us our shortcomings, our irritations that we project onto others. Why does that person do that? It annoys me so much. Oftentimes that's us saying, well, that's something that's true of me. It reveals our immaturity. In community, we have to navigate the emotions of others with empathy. We can't just blow right through them, right? Have you ever had somebody sharing something that's a little awkward as you're sitting there? You can't just say, well, it is what it is, moving on, right? Community doesn't let us have our own agendas, but it it puts us on the timetable of other people. In community, we have to ask for forgiveness. Our life would be easier lived alone. We'd never have to say, I'm sorry, and really, you know, really seek that forgiveness and really wait in the interim, waiting for that person to say, I will forgive you. We have to bear one another's burdens. We have to check our own self-interest at the door. Dostoevsky says, I am sorry, I, cannot, I can say nothing more consoling to you, for love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. Love in dreams is greedy for immediate action, rapidly performed and in the sight of all. Men will give their lives if only the ordeal does not last long, but is soon over. With all looking on and applauding as though on the stage, but active love communal love, covenantal love, is labor and fortitude, and for some people too, perhaps a complete science. Friends, if we were to walk down the streets of Princeton and talk about, yeah, we're just trying to, like, we want to build this really uh, beautiful community, everybody wants that. That's not, that's not an idea that is unique to the church. It's a nice idea, but as Dostoevsky points out here, he's saying this is all nice in our dreams, in our uh, illusions of what could be. But our dreams and what we think will, uh, will happen usually revolves around us. It usually revolves around our own ways and our desires. Jesus is grounding the reality of community with this phrase. He says, as I have loved you, love one another. Jesus says that he is the example. His life is the vine that we are attached to. His example of love is something that we not only try to follow because he's more than just a good example. He is the very life that we live. He is the air that we breathe. And so we try to submit ourselves to his soil and to say, God, may it be so. May I love others as you have loved me. First John tells us, Dear children, let us not love simply with words, but with action and with truth. And Jen, can you put the picture of the vineyard up? Thank you. 
Community is what we were made for as humans. But community only comes through covenant. These are trellises. Bending the branches. Ensuring that they would be fruitful. Jesus comes as the faithful one. The one who never gives up on us no matter what. Who covenants with us to be in relationship with us no matter that it costs him his very life. Jesus binds his life to ours. Like a vine is bound to a trellis, Jesus, the true vine, binds his hands to the wood of the cross. Just like a vine, Jesus' every inclination is to grow upward towards his Father. But in order to bear fruit, in order to bring life to the world, he extends his hands. Jesus is a bent branch on the cross. And he's saying that my life is for all the world. And this is what love looks like. As I have loved you, love one another. This is Jesus. You know, it's so one of those happy accidents that these trellises tend to look like crosses. Because as we bend the branches, we extend them. And Jesus, as he was bound to the cross, as he was trellised to the cross, is showing us what love looks like. And he's saying to us that the way that God bears fruit in the world is that he extends his hands in embrace and he says, this is my life given for you. This is who Jesus is. The cross is a bent branch bearing fruit for all the world. It shows us fully the love of God. And Jesus says to us, love one another as I have loved you. On the cross, Jesus shows us the way of love and he invites us into it. His love is a bent branch for us. We were made for community and God has given us the life that we need in order to be able to live in light of that. May we be a people who are bent branches. Yes, our, our, our inclination may be to grow towards the Father, but Jesus says there's only one way to bear fruit, to be bent towards our neighbors to be bent towards those who are around us. May, we, may it be so in our community. And in so, we will bear fruit and life for all the world. Let us pray. Jesus, you are beautiful and good. God, your life given for us is not just some impossible standard that we have to try to reach, God. Not just us reaching up towards the Son, God, but you are trying to bend us in order to show us who we were made to be. Lord, we did not choose you. God, in fact, we rejected you, but you chose us. And you chose us and you appointed us to go and bear fruit. And in doing so, we would find that we would find life in you even more and more abundantly, that we would never run out or exhaust your love, but that we would also be a gift to the world. So Jesus, would you show us how you are bending us today? That you are bending us towards our neighbors, God. That you are bending us towards those who are around us in this community, God. That we might live lives that are not just uh, on the surface, God. Not just uh, lived in such a way that we might uh, be a people who kind of mirror the patterns of the world, God. But that we show what it means to love one another deeply. Lord, with mutual affection and bearing one another's burdens. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your cross, God. 
We thank you for who you are. It's in your name we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.